0: Well, here I am again, as the rule goes, I'm the guy who, who finds people, and if I don't find people, I's the guy. So, uh, actually this is my week this week, and last week I couldn't find somebody, and so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll surely find somebody by then if I, here I am. Okay, so. <laughs> oh, Happy New Year. Who would have thought, I was thinking of this this morning, it's like, who would have thought as we rolled into last year, what this year would bring. So, if any of us ever think, yeah, I got a kind of a good knack for predicting what's going to happen, I'll bet. So, what a different year it was. And uh, so, anyway, we're still in it, I guess, going on. So, hey, we're going to be starting um, really the life of uh, Moses. We're going to be looking at Moses. We kind of did an introductory to the times of Moses last week, for those of you who are here, uh, as we looked at a summary of the life of Joseph. And the bottom line is that as, as we look into starting at the book of Exodus is it's named for a really good purpose, and that is because it is about the Exodus of the Israelites leaving Egypt. And so the question came comes as you look at that, and I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a history guy anyway, and so I look at why, what happened to get to what's happening? And that's why we look real quick at, the, at just a summary of Joseph's life. And I know you could go, okay, then why did, what happened to Joseph? But we started with why were the, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, even in Egypt? And it's simply because if, the, the, if you remember the story, and so uh, those of you who weren't here last week, uh, but you know the story most likely anyway, that Joseph was one of 12 sons, at the time of when, he, when he was sold, um, he was uh, the favored son of Jacob, who later became Israel. And he was sold by his brothers to, uh, to a band of gypsies, basically, traveling through who sold him to the Egyptians. And, and then a great famine came, and in came um, Joseph um, as, the, as a messenger from God, and greatly used by God and then he was greatly used to save the nation of Israel and, and the summary of the whole thing was that the, the brothers were when they found out that their, their little brother was now in charge of everything and the one that was determining whether they were to live or not um, they were suddenly afraid that he, now that he's in power and now and especially after Jacob their father died said he might just take advantage of that and, and Joseph showing his great character which is what we looked at last time was he said, don't worry about that. Everything that happened was because of God. God brought me here, even if it was wrong. You intended it for bad, God allowed it for good. And and then as a result of it, the nation of Israel was preserved because there was a great famine in the world. So here we are, we're at the beginning of Exodus. Um, so we're gonna just kind of run through this, uh, the first part of this. Um, Moses is one of the few guys that we get the full story of. A lot of them we we get um, they they come on the scene as adults. Um, there's a handful of them that come on as as babies, and uh, and Moses is one of those. And uh, and it's a really a miraculous, uh, it's an amazing story that he even is. For today's generation, you might mention the name of Moses. You know, for us older ones, um, I guess I should go back to that. For us older ones, we, we think of if you ever watched the movie. Um, the, the Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston and it's like this bold man out there who who had this flowing beard all the time and he was just the epitome of macho um, and if you haven't seen that movie in a long time it's been a really long time since I've seen it but every once in a while that picture pops up and, uh, and when they show Moses that's kind of the picture that's there I don't know what, if that's really how he was um, today's generation it would be more of the Prince of Egypt um, I watched that you know, many times with my, I don't know if it was out when my kids were little, but certainly I've watched it with my grandkids. And, and here, all of a sudden, Moses becomes this, this kind of hip dude. And uh, he's kind of fun, he's funny, he's getting around, he's pretty, pretty light on his feet. Um, so those are all different pictures. Those are two different pictures that could be of Moses. I, I think that the real picture is probably way different than any of those, and we're going to find that out as we go along. So as we look at the biblical record of of Moses, I don't think either of those are going to be accurate, but we're going to see a, a real man, a man with struggles, a man that um, which he didn't handle a lot of things very well. It's the story of a man who, in spite of his shortcomings, was used by God, and I find that very, very encouraging. You know, here it is, just a little a little teaser to the whole thing. Moses is a handful of the guys that committed murder. It's like... You know, I've, we've been around that before, and it's like, well, I don't think I would follow the lead of too many murderers. But two of the people that God uses greatly are murderers, David and Moses, and then Paul. I mean, it's like my word. So I don't care where you're at. I don't think anybody here that I know about anyway has been a murderer. I've had, I've had murderers work for me before, and that was always kind of creepy at times. But um, but, it was, uh, but, but think about that. This is Moses. He's a guy that God used in a great, great way. So if you start thinking, and eh, we're going to look at this great guy who had all these amazing aspects of his life, um, so what? how can I can compare? You can compare. It's now approximately 350 years after the time of Joseph, and the Israelites, uh, from when they arrived in Egypt, we're told that at the beginning of, of verse uh, of chapter one, let me just read. I'm just going to kind of go through this this uh, this chapter. Now we're just going to hit some highlights on things. I'll give a little commentary as we go along. But starting in verse five, the descendants of Jacob numbered seventy in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. That the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly, and became exceedingly numerous. So that the land was filled with them. So here there's a lot of them now from a small band of people which I said last time you could have literally loaded them on a couple of of Greyhound buses and drove them there. That's just how small that nation was at the time and now it's probably millions of people. I mean it's a lot. 350 years a lot can happen and they were pretty pretty productive. Verse verse 8 tells us this, Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his to his people, meaning the Egyptians, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So that so they put slave masters over them to oppress them and force labor, and they built Python and Ramses as, as store cities for Pharaoh. So exactly it's kind of it's one a kind of a strange thing. Here, these people were free when they came in, and they became very prosperous. They they were working the land. They um they were, they were shepherds when they came, which is kind of a, a little backstory of this. Is part of why the Egyptians may not have liked these people. The sh, the um, shepherds that we've talked about often about in Scripture were really a very low status of people. We think, we think about that with, uh, with Christmas season a lot of times. They just a, they had a low status in culture. The Egyptians despised shepherds. They were an agricultural country. I mean uh, yeah, agricultural country and land. They, they really were famous for their great grain and everything which is why they were so successful during a famine. Um, I mean they had the, the land to do that and obviously Joseph managed that well at the leading of God. But, but here it came in, and a little story of, of going back to, as, as Joseph talked to his brothers, he said, okay, now, when the king, when the pharaoh comes to you and says, what do you do? Because they wanted to have something to contribute to, the, to this new place that they were coming to. He said, tell them you are keepers of livestock. Don't tell them you're shepherds. And the reason was is because the shepherds were loathsome. To the Egyptians, yeah, cattle was okay, and um, and grain and farming was okay, but don't tell them you're a shepherd. And so, knowing the wisdom of his brothers all the time, when they when the Pharaoh came to him, came to them and they said, "So what do you guys do?" Uh, we're shepherds. It's like you've got to be kidding me. And Joseph is standing in the back. You're just going, "Will you guys ever listen to me?" But no, they didn't. And so it it goes on. So it just kind of history would say that. That that's part of what was going on here is that they were just loathsome to the to the Egyptians. Not only had they grown in great number, they were productive in the land, but suddenly they became slaves. And so as 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 time, it was just kind of not as osmosis goes, that they just kind of became slaves of the Egyptians. It's likely that the king this referred to here, this just calls him Pharaoh. Um, it's not only a new person, but it could most likely be, as history and tradition tells us, it's probably a new ruling family. And so here he is. He's, it says that he didn't know about Joseph. He didn't know about all the good things that Joseph had done many years before that. Um, and, so, and he feared the numerical strength of the Israelites, Israelites and began to look for a way to diminish their number. He feared that they would become allies with their enemies and would overcome them and leave Egypt. Interesting that everything that Pharaoh was afraid of is what came about in spite of his efforts. Pharaoh's first plan was to enslave the Israelites and tighten their, his control over them. A large part of the plan involved intimidation and oppression. It was designed to be so demoralizing that the Israelites that they, would not, um, that they would not have the strength to resist. Pharaoh utilized large slave labor force to strengthen the country, but it seems the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Verse 12, we read this as it describes that a little bit. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all, and in all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. So the Egyptians' response was to continue to um, to continue to to oppress them and yet it didn't it didn't work. it just kept on they just kept on multiplying. Uh, verse 13 um, or verse 14 it says, says that they that they were worked with brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields in their hard labor the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Pharaoh says in, in, in verse 15 the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were, I will not announce these name these right, but um, Shifra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them in delivery on the, on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it's a girl, let her live. So here it is. we have what, what I'm going to call is one of, the, one of the first times of, of deliberate uh, abortion. It's one of those things that would be no different. Today, if you look at American society, it's like, oh, we just got too many people, what do we do? Um, it happens in other countries in, in worse ways than it happens in America. And and it's just like, he began to just abort but them. But the midwives, however, feared God, verse 17. God, um, They feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered. Pharaoh uh, answered, the, answered the, the Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives, uh, midwives arrive. These daring women lived out their faith. It said that they feared God, and, and so they didn't carry out the king's command. They would rather disobey the king than disobey God, which I find it's it's kind of like our first little snippet of application here um, of fearing God more than we're fearing the government around us. This is not an anti-government rule, I mean uh, sermon at all, but but at the same time, it's like these women are to be commended for the fact that they feared God more than they feared anything else around them. I'm not sure what that phrase what the phrase means here is it says in verse 20 so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous and because the midwives feared God he gave them families of their own uh, I'm not sure what that whole meaning of that is but God obviously blessed them for their fear of him and I, I believe that they acted out in faith not just in fear of God it's a different kind of fear but they acted out that they knew God would honor them and God did bless them by having, having their own families. Verse 22 says this, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. It's an ap- an application, I think, to the, the sanctity of life and, and what goes on here. And this is a passage that gets used a lot of times about the, the horrors of people who take the lives of, of children. And uh, that's not purpose of the sermon, but it is definitely showing how, how society looks sometimes at the, at the lack of, of sanctity of life. Here it was, it just as it is a lot of times now, it's an inconvenience. Pharaoh himself was just afraid of of uh, them coming into more power than what they had and, and overtaking him. It was just a fear. Um, I find it interesting that the exact same thing is what happens at Christmas Eve. Um, we just got done talking about this during Christmas season. It's the same fear that Herod had, which is why he sent out messengers and soldiers to kill all the little boys, and it was aiming to kill Jesus when the when the wise men came looking for him. It, it's 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 a time that um, that that just shows another king down later in history from this of just a fear of someone overtaking them and their power. That's not why why that type of thing happens in our societies now. Now it's just, a whole, it's just an inconvenience situation. I think there's a lot of the same attitude that's there. But it's, um, uh, but it's just something to note that, uh, that there's the, a similarity here between Moses coming into the world and Jesus coming into the world, the type of political atmosphere that there was around them. I think there's also something with that, and that's what I really want to focus on today, is the, is the fact of, of those that were around, both Jesus and, and Moses, and that's in the, in the way of his parents. Obviously, Jesus was God and was his son, but that's still very apparent that who he was, shaped, um, he was shaped by those around him. He was shaped as a human in character um, because of godly parents. And we're gonna find out here as we, as we start looking a little bit farther um, into, this, into this story that Moses had a similar heritage in which I believe shaped who he was. And there are some very important applications that I think we need to look at in the way of introducing Moses. It's what kicks off the rest of his life. And, I, and it's very important here. I wanna share with you two principles, particularly about faith, that we see in this passage in one application about passing on a heritage of faith to our children. Grandchildren and to anyone else, we have an impact on. Now, I thought about this as I was preparing this message, and I just, especially because we just came through Christmas, and I'm watching this house full of my grandkids running around, and uh, and some of the things that they that they said and they did, that were response, um, they were responding to to us as adults sometimes. Sometimes that was good, sometimes it was bad. And uh, so as I'm preparing this, I, I looked at it and I said, you know something, this isn't just for parents though, As we're even though we're talking about parents here, it's great for grandparents. And then I thought even farther, it's great for those who are, um, have an influence on anybody, which is, just so you know, it's every one of us. I don't care how young or old we are, we have an influence. People are watching us. If we're if we're parents, our kids are watching us. If we're grandparents, our kids and our grand and grandkids are watching us. But if we're just other people, if you're just grandkids, there are other people watching you. If you're just someone who's around people, people are watching you. And I think there's a that has a lot to do with uh, with what we're going to look at today. Faith does not demand or ask that we act foolishly. I think that's the first principle. Faith does not demand or ask. I ask that we act foolishly. It talked about these women, these these two midwives, how they, because of their faith and because they feared God, they didn't act foolishly. There, there was some deception there, so we'll we'll give that one one away a little bit. But they, but they responded um, in in faith, and they acted acted out according to how they um, their fear of God. In chapter two, verse one, and let's start there. Let me let me just start at verse one. We'll read a couple verses here. Now a man um, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. In this terrible time, a child is born. It's a it's a time of, of fear for the Hebrew women. It's a time of fear for the whole nation of Israel. They're just oppressed. They're they're under under bondage by the Egyptians but it's a it's a, a tough time but in there there's a there's a godly couple of the tribe of Levi which becomes the priestly tribe um, and the parents looked at this newborn child they saw that he was a fine child as some versions say he was a beautiful child understand though that it's not talking about just his looks I think that these people and it comes out later on these people this parent these parents believed and were pressed merrily they weren't impressed merely with his physical beauty I believe it better to understand that his parents are convinced that God had a very special purpose for this child the biblical perspective is that, this, that children are from God and, and we know that, we can, we can talk about that um, Psalms 127 3 and 4 tells us behold children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior so are the children of one's youth and then the psalmist later says in Psalm 139, 13 and 14, he declares that every child is a product of divine creation. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. We have perhaps seen some depictions through paintings of the fear of, of the parents of, of Moses. Um, I, I have, I've seen, I can remember as a kid my my. Bible that I had growing up, it had a picture of of, uh, of Moses's mother hiding him in the in the reeds, as it, as it describes it. She's kind of looking over with this fear in her eyes, and it's a painting. I couldn't tell you. i didn't even try to find it. I'm sure I could Google it and find it, but uh, I I don't think that's what happened. Um, we we we've seen that, but it was not true of of Amram um, and Jochebed was mom's name. In in fact, Hebrews 11, which is the which is known as the faith chapter that lists all these people and their faith, Um, the parents of Moses are listed there. And it it tells us about how um, their attitude, it says this, by faith Moses when he was born was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid. Of the king's command. Get that? They saw that he was no ordinary child. There it's not describing it as beauty or great physical attributes as a baby or anything. And it said because they were not afraid of the king's command. That's why they're listed as great faith. It's like they said, you know something? This is a pretty special child. We see something here. Well, we we can just tell, uh, no description on that, other than that he was, they could just see that he was no ordinary child. He wasn't just an ordinary baby. And they said, we are not afraid of what the king says. We're going to just take care of this little baby. To understand it, must be remembered that there are two threats that are typical in this kind of command from such a king, and that would be um, the fear for the child, but then also fear for their own lives, because that would be typically the case. Have you disobeyed me? I'm killing you too. But they weren't afraid of the king, it says. If you kill your baby, you will live. If you don't kill the baby, you risk your life. I think Moses grew to be a great man of faith, which we'll find later on as we look through his life, because his father and mother were a couple of of people of faith. Although he grew up in the house of Pharaoh, which we'll later see, it's obvious that he had a relationship with his Hebrew family, his parents, and his older sister, Miriam, and his older brother, Aaron. This wasn't a child that was born to a woman who was barren, like happens so many other times about these great, great men that, uh, that grew up. But that, the, this was a man that was, uh, he was born, third, third child from what we know, and, uh, and, and he had an influence of his family. Think about this. How would you like to try hiding a baby for three months? That's what they did. I can remember bringing our own babies home. There was no way we could hide them for three minutes, say nothing about three months, but somehow they pulled it off and then while they did this they were, they were risking their lives of saving the baby and I don't know if the baby grew got big enough it doesn't describe a lot of things here, but it does tell us this that then mom made a basket out of um, out of weeds and whatever else it, it, it it describes what it was, and I think different versions even say different things, but it doesn't matter. She made, a, she made a, a basket out of grass, covered it with tar and pitch that she'd scraped off the banks of the Nile, most likely, and made this, this floating basket, this semi-waterproof basket, and, and pushed Moses out into the, into the water. Now, back up a little bit more, I know some of the stuff is just semantics as we say. It's like, hmm, some of these pictures that we grow up with. Is, uh, I, I know I always saw, and probably saw it from a movie, maybe saw it from a flannel graph board. But, you know, here comes Jacobad, here comes goes down to, the, down to the water and kind of shoves the little baby out there. Again, I kind of got shot as I was studying this this week um, because, because that's not exactly what happens. Let me just put it this way: faith and careful planning go hand in hand. They always have. So first, we have that faith does not demand that we act foolish, which is what I don't think that uh, that Jacobed and and Amor were acting foolishly here. They were just have they had great faith. So first, faith does not demand that we act foolish, and second, faith does not mean that we do not have to plan. Let me read chapter two, verse three and four. But when she couldn't hide, hide him. Um, when she could hide him no longer, she got a, a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put him in the reeds along the banks of the Nile. Her sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. There's a lot right there that, that until you start looking at that, um, a lot of times I've, I've never looked at this, this, this passage like this. I kind of skip over it and let's get to the next part of Moses, the, the part where we'll, we'll hit here where he is found. The unwritten situation here is that Jochebed, the mom, had a plan, and I believe that God gave it to her, and she assigned assigned Miriam, the the older sister of Moses, to um, to stand by and watch. I'll even bet that she probably had instructed Miriam carefully on what to say after the princess found the basket and baby. Because I kind of think from here, she says she placed him in the reeds and then watched. And I think that maybe I am speculating a little bit here, but kind of putting the story of of this could be very much how it happened. She had great faith in in God that this was a special child. And so she had been, I don't know if God spoke to her or what, but she stood by and watched and uh, and placed Miriam there to watch. But I kind of wonder if she didn't watch the princess coming down at, at her time of bathing and just know that princess comes down here all the time. And there was this um, a, a little back story to that's not here. Is that the, the Egyptians also believed um, that it was a holy river to them, and they often would believe that uh, things that they found in the Nile came from their gods. And so just just think about that of, as a as a possibility. As this princess comes down, and she found this baby, and and, and it says he was crying, so he wasn't a wasn't a cry a cry free baby. She found him and he was crying. Uh, verse 5. Um, then Pharaoh's daughter um, went down to the Nile to bathe, and, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrews baby one of the Hebrew babies, um, she said. Again, it's hard to say. I mean she obviously knew it was a Hebrew baby. But again, was this presented to me from the gods of the Nile? And now I must take care of it. That could be, it's just a, a, a plausible explanation of why she behaved that she did. But I think now that, um, now Miriam it says as she's been standing by and watching, that mom had a plan in action, and, and she had put her faith in action. And, and this is what was happening. She was hoping that this is what would happen, and it did happen. The plan went flawlessly. The princess found the baby just as planned. Now I want us to consider the application of passing on heritage of faith. That's just a lot of stuff right there. I know there's some speculation in there. I'm not basing my theology on that. I'm just saying this is a good way to the of the backstory of this of the of the, um, of the real story there. of Of this is how it could have happened. This is going on on. Uh, on Traditions and their religious beliefs and a lot of things like that, but but there's some real important stuff here um, in in regards to all of that. As we as we said, faith and and careful planning go hand in hand. So faith does not demand that we act foolish, but faith does mean that we do. Um, faith does mean that we have. Does, it doesn't mean that we don't have a plan. It often means that we do have a plan, and I think that's what Jacobeth had here. She had a plan, but even more than that. I think there's a lot of, there's, um, there's something here, and that is that passing on a heritage of faith does not happen by accident. Verse 9 Pharaoh's daughter said to her, to, to Miriam, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll give you pay. So, so the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the tri- child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So here it is, without even realizing it. The princess has hired its own mother, the baby's own mother, to nurse and raise him. Jochebed not only gets her child back, but she got the protection of Pharaoh's daughter and and got paid. Get that, get paid to raise her own son. Um, This cannot be anything but the hand of God. Jochebed had Moses under her care until he was weaned and beyond while he was growing. However, however long this might have been, it doesn't say exactly what it what it been. It's everything from tradition could say just when he was nursed, or it could have been when he was a young um, a young boy. But no matter what, it just says that he was um, that he was raised for um, for a while. And and so so here we have. I want us to look close at these words that not only are parents the ones that have an influence, because here was the great thing is that. Jochebed now and Amaron, the father, had a, had a great opportunity to raise up their son, Moses. Jochebed had Moses under her care until he was weaned and way beyond growing. Close to six million Americans will take a, uh, make a life-changing experience this next year. They will have children. And how they raise these children will have a greater impact on our society than any else, anything else that they do in life. Think about that for a minute. That, that's a lot of little babies that come into the world. And, and what's gonna change our country if we go, I, I just hope our country doesn't continue like it does or things can turn around. Think about this for a minute. You have an, op, a, an option, an opportunity to have a great impact on that, not just in praying for our leadership, but in how you influence those that are growing up. You have you as, as as parents, grandparents, as as uncles, aunts, as people that just have an influence on others. Those of you who are around young kids have a great influence on who they become. I I watch these little kids come up here, and uh, and it's fun to see that, and uh, and the with the noise and the chatter, which at different times it's like, you know, kids can kids noise can be really irritating sometimes, and yet just think about this: is that um, is that you have an influence on these little kids that are here. You have an influence on those that are younger than you, no matter what you are. You sometimes have influence on those that are older than you, whether you like it or not. People watch you. They watch you for who you are. And, and that's, that's what we see here, with I think, with Jochebed and Amron, um, that they had impact on the short time that they had with Moses. It's obvious that he, there was times that um, later on in life, we'll see this, that Moses knew who he was, he knew his background, he knew that he was a Hebrew. Nothing, None of that shocked him when uh, here he is living in a palace later in life, and yet he still had a heart for both his family and for his people. What would you do if you knew that everything that your child, grandchild, or child, or friend, or anybody watching you, um, that when they watch you that's all they ever know about God we're, we're all in situations like that I think of that all the time as I, as I come into contact with people I'm, we're in the process right now of, of uh, cleaning up some property that we, that we have in Missoula and it's just like my word I'm dealing with these people that I probably in an unpolitical way I'm going to call them these people are like lowlifes and um, it's like man and uh, Ryan described them to me he said they all have a story don't they? And I, thought, I said, yeah, they all have a story, and sometimes that story is unbelievable. And it's also they're where they are sometimes because of their stupidity. Um, and yet, everybody's got an excuse. And, and so, but, but I always have to think of this. Like my response to them is one of them came up to me and they said, I hear that you're a religious guy. And I, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting that he hears that. It comes from our renters and others. And I said, oh, I'm really not a religious guy. I prefer to be, just be called a follower of Jesus. And he said, oh, wow, that's cool. You got the faith in, man. And I thought that was, uh, it was kind of interesting. And, and uh, so I thought about that with, with these people as I'm talking to them, and as other ones. You'd have to be in the situation to see why are these people coming over here. Um, and and I'm, I'm having conversations with them, but I've got to just say that Every time I have a conversation with one of those people, because that just happens to be um, one of the spheres of, of uh, influence I have, I go, I, am, I, am, I might be the only Bible, the only Jesus that these people ever see. And I want to make sure that I'm leaving a, a positive example for them. That's not, uh, that's, it just motivates me to do the right thing at times, even though my instinct wants to do something way different. But so I I think it's fair for us to ask that question. What would it be like? How would it impact us if we thought about that? That we are the only person, the only influence spiritually that some people are going to ever have. What would you do um, if if you knew that, if you realized that? Would you change some behaviors? Would you behave some things you say? What would you tell these people about God? The words of Deuteronomy 6-7 takes on a special meaning. It says this, You shall teach them, talking about kids, I mean, about God's laws, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, all the time. When we consider that and take it to heart, we need to, to look for opportunities and tell those watching us, this generation especially about our faith. It doesn't just go to parents and grandparents, as I said, but to all of us, because people are watching. A, uh, here's a telltale story of me um, and and my my son, Ryan. Um, I, we went in. I, I, I just discovered recently um, Pringles, um, dill pickle Pringles. And uh, and I thought, ah, this well, that sounded good. Well, I like them. Ryan likes them. Suzette does not like them. And Kimmy does not like them. But Ryan and I... I think they're pretty good, and so we're Ryan and I were in Walmart, and I'm, I'm go to the Pringle aisle, and uh, and I'm looking. And I go nope, no nope, dill pickle Pringles. And Ryan goes, oh, there's a can up there. So I reach up, grab it, throw it in the basket, go out, and uh, I buy them with some other things and and head out. And I get home and I'm putting things away, and I look at the the Pringle can and it's been opened. It didn't have the sealed top on it, and I thought. So I wonder if I ran into that one place, did Ryan go, I'm hungry, and grab the Pringle can and open it up and grab some out of it. So I, so I asked him, he goes, no, I didn't do that. And so I was like, okay, I'm not mad if you did, I'm just, now I'm concerned because they've been opened. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I just thought, you know something, for two reasons, um, coronavirus and Walmart. I said, I am not eating these things. So it cost me a buck and a half and I was ticked Threw them in the garbage can. It's like, oh man! And not only did not only was it the buck and a half, but it's the only can I grabbed because it's the only can I could find. And so a few days later, we're I'm in the store again. Actually, Ryan and I were in there again, and uh, and I said I got to get some more, get some more Pringles. And I found they had a whole bunch of dill pickle Pringles. And so I grabbed a couple of them and some other things. And so I'm checking them out, and I go, they ripped me off a buck fifty. And so I just threw it in the basket, threw it in the bag, didn't didn't swipe it, and so it's like they owe me a buck fifty. And so we're walking out, and it's right, okay? As we're, as I'm walking out, so it's like I told Ryan, I said I told him what I did, and he goes, hmm, kind of gave me this funny look, and he said, yeah, you're right. He said, but I wouldn't have done it. And so then I went, then I felt really guilty. Because here was the influence I just left to my son. But then I said, so why wouldn't you do it? And he said, because you taught me better. <laughs> and I thought, okay, here's the, <laughs> here's the I wouldn't do it because you taught me. And, uh, and yet I did it. And so I made it right. I just want you to know. So I asked my wife. I said, so here was the situation. She goes, eh. same thing. Uh, you're right, but I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, they did owe me a buck fifty, so I just want you to know. The next time I went there, I swiped one can twice, and so I straightened out their inventory and I paid for those, and I got ripped off a buck fifty. That's still important to know, but it was only a buck fifty, and I'm okay. But but here I thought about that. This is kind of a kind of a shameful pat on my back, and I said I'm glad I left that impression to my son in two different ways. Is that as he said, you raised me better than that are different than that and yet at the same time I was proud of that <laughs> and yet I was like nah. "This." I had to think about okay so what if I had been the parent who just did that all the time and so that's not to condemn you or anything it's just for us to realize you know people are watching us our kids are watching us Proverbs 22 6 says this train up a child in the way he should go even when he is old he will not depart from it we don't know how old Moses was when he moved with the princess and she officially adopted him other than knowing he was older. So that's the description that it gives us. It was obvious though that he was aware he was a Hebrew as I said and that he knew his family. Let me just uh, close this out with this. Again, as parents, grandparents, influencer of others, which is all of us, it's never too late to have an impact on others with our faith and we're going to see that, uh, that that had a great impact on Moses as we look in his life over the coming months. We're, this is one of these stories that uh, there's going to be a lot of practical stuff in it. It's like uh, we're not going to look at everything in Moses' life. It's it's, it's uh, If I was preaching every week, it'd still be a long time, so we're not doing that at all. But we're going to look at a lot of great things from Moses' life. But I want you to understand that, that, that his family had a huge impact on him. And it as it... Especially when it talks about his parents in Hebrew, was, uh, yeah, in the book of Hebrews, and so I think that affected Moses, and we're going to see that more and more. And it's just a great introduction to who he is. Let's let's just pray, and then we're going to have a time of uh, communion. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for Your Word, and in this very practical sense, as we look at Moses, we look at his parents, we look at the situation around him. God, it's that's uh, not a whole lot different than what we're facing all the time. I just wanted to say thank you for the, the positive influences on my own life, and I know we've all had that. And I pray that each one of us would would not just be a positive influence, but we would be a godly, faithful influence on those who are following us and looking to us. Give us opportunities to live out that faith, and and then give us opportunities to share the message of what it is. And so I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could